I'm Caddy. And I'm Eunice. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands that we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day really, to reflect on your relationship with the land that you live on and the Indigenous communities of the area. So Eunice. Hello. We are jumping in to uh what I'm 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 I think it looks like we're jumping into like summer reading into some light fun interesting kind of something special kind of literature um and this week we read Legend Born by Dion uh, by Tracy Dion not Dion Tracy Tracy Dion I said that correctly. And uh, so I'll read the, I'll, I just, I don't want to spoil this story. So I'm going to base myself on uh, the, I'm going to base myself on the summary that's been provided uh, for the book. So after her mother dies uh, in an accident, 16 year old Brie Matthew wants, ne- wants nothing to do with her family uh, memories or childhood home. And then she enlists uh, at a, a residential program for bright high schoolers at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, which seems like the perfect escape, until she witnesses a magical attack on her very first night on campus. This is a story of demons and legends and folk history, I guess. Is that? Yeah, I think that works. Mm-hmm. There's also a love triangle. Let's be honest. It gets a little mushy-gushy, and I like it. How did you feel about this story and this book, Eunice? Yeah, so this was a great book with, like, fantasy elements that are um, set in a world that we recognize. Um, So, like, a world that's our own or maybe alternate universe our own (laughs) so the magic that happens it happens in the world that we know it's a story that um, takes a lot from Arthurian legends um, which I have to say that I'm not very familiar with and so some of the terminology some of the legend I Uh, A lot of the story was still very, like, the magic was very new to me. And it's definitely a, kind of falls into a trope of, like, chosen, the chosen one. That's definitely a recognizable trope in this one. You mentioned Love Triangle. It's a story about kind of subverting, like, what, what we know as, or what, Um, people think of legends and folklore being. I think while it didn't really do much to subvert like YA fantasy tropes, I think it did try to subvert like what we think of as canon for magic and legend. So yeah, I really liked 
the parts of the story that we're talking about, like the origins of magic, how magic is used by different populations, different demographics, and was very interested in what Dion was trying to do with that, with this story. Um, I thought it got a little muddled with um, the type of world building she was trying to do. There was a lot of info dump, a lot of terms um, that maybe because I'm not familiar with the um, source material, it was hard for me to kind of get through. And so I think it was this was also a very long book, or I think it was a very long book. And so it was... I, for a while, it was slowly building the story. And then at like the last quarter of the book, I just felt like everything was happening. And so like maybe pacing wasn't it for me either. But I think like what made this book very special or the story very special was the um, the way that magic was used Um and explained yeah and there's definitely a lot of like decolonizing of like of magic happening in the story and I thought that that was really interesting and and especially in it's set in the south and I don't know the south uh, as a very comfy cozy Canadian you hear about the south but sort of living that reality and uh, like the contemporary reality of a young adult that's still full of microaggressions and mm-hmm. and authority figures who suck and all of that that was I, I thought that was really well um inserted i think i uh, i went into this book blind i uh, i just jumped in and uh, uh the magic the magical elements uh, arrived very quickly for me. Um, but I think that that's because uh, of something very cool in this book is that I grew very attached to the character of Brie. Brie has just lost her mother and is in like, she's working her way through through the stages of grief. But holy cannoli, is this an avoidant character? Like she is just so traumatized and 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 the emotions and the way that the emotions are described, the way that her grief is processed is so, um, it felt very familiar to me. Um, Mm -hmm. it, it, it really kind of struck a chord and, and I think that that was really lovely, but it kind of shocked me a little bit. It was kind of like an ice bath when all Mm -hmm. of a sudden I was like super deep into the, like, this very thoughtful, very, uh, you know, very, very emotionally aware kind of character. And then all of a sudden you're like, what do you mean? There's Merlins and Hobgoblins and this and that. And I was, and it took me a minute to sort of readapt. I'm also not the most familiar with Arthurian uh, legends. I mean, I've read some Marion Zimmer Bradley, although she's not cool anymore because apparently she was a horrible person. But I read a lot of her books and um, I definitely some of the stuff kind of came back to mind a little bit. But then there's also, you know, the question of like, this is a black character who enters the world of white magic and and white Mm -hmm. magic, not in the sense of like white witches, but like white people magic. And, Mm -hmm. and that was really interesting because in the beginning, like I was, you know, you get these descriptions of these side characters. And I think I was sort of expecting the collegiate context to be way more diverse Mm. just because like, 
I don't know, the very little that I know about the American college system, maybe because um, I am dating a sports freak, but like, I was like, okay, UNC Chapel Hill, I've heard of mm-hmm. them basketball. Cool. There's going to be some kids of color. There's going to be some interesting action happening and all that. And, and you can, you can see that there's, there's some foreshadowings for a beautiful journey of, of, of growth and development in this young girl who leaves this tiny little, you know, crummy town to move on up because she's so smart, because she has so much potential in all of this. But then we end up in like a very sweet Valley high type environment. Mm. I, I, I almost want to say and that that kind of caught me off guard too. But yeah, I, I, I still had a fun time. This is like, honestly, I'm going to say this is a fun beach read. Um, this is going to be a fun beach read because also it's the beginning of a series. So it's exciting. There's a lot of world building. Holy cannoli. And I think that the world building, I like, I like the challenging structure of the story where like, you're just like, Hey, okay, this stuff is happening. There's shimmering stuff happening. And all of a sudden we're like pulling out swords and we're beating up people between two classes. Great. Um, and then it's like, oh, how come you can do this? Uh, you mean you're a part of this whole society? Mm. Okay, let's sort of break it down a little bit and try to understand, like, maybe you can tell me what's happening and and, and stuff like that. So that's the way that we discover the stories, uh, the, 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 the lore of the legend born. And that was like, it's fun once you get into it. I'm sort mm-hmm. of I like, I like kind of like info dumps of that sort but mm-hmm. but I yeah I, I think like in a in a perfect world that would have happened it would have built in been built in slowly a little bit more in the beginning and then would have continued the way that it does I don't even know if that makes sense anymore it's hard to talk about a story without wanting to spoil it yeah mm-hmm. it's hard it's there's a lot of stuff in here that I like yeah I think I want to circle back to what you were saying about um, Brie and her grief um, and processing that and what you think about how like this story it's not like a YA contemporary right where like realistic fiction where a character would kind of go through that that those stages of grief but like in the real world right um, how do you think that this, that being like an el- plot element and how, how do you think that was kind of like pushed forward or like explored, like her grief was explored, especially in this like fantasy kind of setting? Yeah. Well, she needed an anchor, right? I think, I think like Breeze, she, she becomes a fish out of water. So all of a sudden she needs something to anchor her back into, um, into herself and into her world, which is, you know, the, the easiest thing. I mean, she's in a new environment. So friendships are, 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 are fraught and it's complicated and her relationship with her dad is complicated. So her grief becomes sort of her, the thing that holds her down into, into an actual reality. You know, like it can all get wild and wooly, but at the end of it, she still feels this sense of longing for her mother and missing her and also trying to understand what actually happens and mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So I think that, that 
that was an interesting way of using grief because the thing about it is, and, and I mean, I'm just basing myself off of my own experience, obviously, but, but in my experience, grief, grief is surprising. It, it just kind of like on a beautiful, like Wednesday afternoon, will kind of like wallop you in the head even 10 years later. So that felt really true to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like the moments when it's there, boy, is it there. And boy, can you remember every single detail of one tiny little moment. And and it's it's so heavy, but at the same time, almost comforting. And mm-hmm. I think that for, for Bree's character, there is something of that in, in the fact that her grief gives her somewhere where she where things can just suck. You know, it, it gives her permission to just have a place where everything can be terrible and where she can wallow. It's almost like the soft, <laughs> the soft, heavy blanket that is depression. <laughs> but look, I mean... I don't think there's anything to be like pulled out of like, I don't think there's a meaning, you know, to grief, but, but grief is where love goes when, when there's no one to receive it anymore. Right. So, so, so in that sense, I think that it also humanizes her incredibly. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. Brie, you know, we talk about a chosen one trope, like obviously Brie is at the center of the story. If you haven't caught on yet, I've given you a second. You should have caught up by now. <laughs> so, <laughs> So yeah, so like as a chosen one, you know, still having this this thing that looms heavy over her, it gives her something to fight for. It gives her, it gives her a sense of self as well, and it, it can become kind of a point of vulnerability for her, which I think is important, especially because she's a young black woman who can be pretty defiant and and who kind of does things her own way and 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 all of that. So I think that, I think that that's, yeah, that's, that's sort of how I saw it be used. Yeah, I thought it was almost like as if she had a new purpose, right? Or like, um, like, it was a little bit of the impetus of the story, especially in the beginning, before we kind of see all the like mysteries of the magic and um, unravel. Um, I think it really helped her to like have a place where her mind could go and like a focus and like a drive or something because before it seemed like she was kind of it was hard for her to find that hard for her to land anywhere or do anything with herself um and so I think like just that that and the driving mystery of like like events surrounding her mother's death um Mm -hmm. like that really does give her like and it also informs a lot of her choices um I think her grief informs a lot of her like decisions of what why she wants to do what she wants to do um and like seeing that play out it just yeah her character it just made sense with like what she was trying to do like in times where you're like what no like like really Mm -hmm. should you be doing that or like but it was just more like it makes sense because that's kind of the place she's coming from and I thought that was really well done yes and I also think that time-wise I think there's something really interesting about that and setting it like not immediately after her mother's passing but not Mm -hmm. yet far enough that she's processed enough of it it's kind of like 
that like mucky kind of bog like zone in grief where like you know no one's really offering you condolences anymore and people are Mm -hmm. sort of starting to look at you and being like oh is this who you are now you're the person who's grieving and so you're navigating that place of like your own emotions versus what you're projecting into the world and and how that that informs sort of just your approach to everything i also really like what you were saying about um about her grief serving uh as a motivator and as a sort of a catalyst in making her decisions because it is true ultimately her grief gives her uh, a tie to who she is and i think that especially like her mother is such a like i just i wanted to know so much more about her mother (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that mystery, I mean, you know, I'm guessing that mystery is going to reveal itself progressively through the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something really intense about losing a parent and and sort of losing that part of your history, you mm-hmm. know, and and in order and especially at, at such a young age and things like that. And and to know where you're going, you have to know where you've been. And, Mm -hmm. and that's a, that like, that's a sentence that's been told to me so many times Mm -hmm. and I used to hate it. And now I'm just like, oh yeah, damn it. It was true. You know, like you have to, you, you want to know and you start becoming curious because we take our families for granted. I'm me the first. Um, But you forget to ask those questions and you forget to ask for the details and you don't necessarily like, I mean, I don't, I I certainly don't live a mindful life. So like, (laughs) you know, having those moments of to remember that it is important to sort of savor every moment that you have with folks and to, 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 you know, life is ephemeral and just like magic. I was really intrigued by the way uh, that, uh, okay, so, so Brie has her, her relationship with her dad is mainly by text. And I thought that that was a really fun addition to the story just because like her dad is it's good dad representation in this story. Let's just put mm-hmm. it that way, I think. And and I think that this is obviously it's a natural shift as, as we lean into more like kind of liberal, more liberal books and things like that. But like this I- image of the caring father and the present father who prioritizes his family yeah. and all of that. I thought that was really, that was really quite nice. It's a nice little yeah, touch. Yeah. And just like the way that he, he shows care and shows um i think there's a great conversation with him and and brie about like please like seek out help like i will get you connected to a therapist like on campus like i thought that was really really good to see that type of representation of like a parent who's like yes we're going through some stuff like we need to get help and that's okay yes Yes. It's like, uh, almost as if he cared for his child and really wanted her to be okay. <laughs> okay, let's talk about like fluffy stuff. Okay. Um, okay, because, uh, okay, so, so there's a love triangle in this story that gave me some serious Twilight flashbacks. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, while in college, Brie meets two dudes, and uh, one is very much your your Edward, uh, golden boy, just like muscles, tall, very tall. I think like mm-hmm. her description of how tall he is made me like I actually remember going like, "Huh, that's funny." And then uh, 
so that's Nick. And then there's Selwyn. Obviously, if you're going to introduce a character named Selwyn, he's <laughs> bound to be all like emo and stuff. <laughs> um actually he's the edward i'm so sorry yeah. and nick yeah. is mm-hmm. uh more of the the jacob uh yeah. the jacob how'd you find uh how'd you find the triangle how'd you find <laughs> the cheese i like the cheese it was good um yeah no <laughs> uh, every time there's a love triangle um I actually really do not like love triangles in YA fantasy. I know it's like hot take. I don't like them. Gasp. I know. And that's and it's because and it's because you know that she's going to end up with the bad boy like emo character. And and I always feel so bad for the nice friend character and like okay so I'm I was definitely team Jacob in the whole Twilight team Jacob team Edward Um, I'm sorry what (laughs) (laughs) and I think that Stephanie Meyer did a disservice to Jacob by adding that stupid Renesmee plot in the fifth book or fourth book sorry fourth book Fourth book, fifth movie. <laughs> fifth movie, yeah. <laughs> um, I know. I I know. It's the it's the worst. And like, and I think that Jacob was just written poorly. Um, and that he could have actually just been a good supportive friend, but you know, Stephanie Meyer did him wrong. Um, that's my right. hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but mostly because I do just go for um, the cinnamon roll and I knew this was going to be because I listened to your Twilight episode and so I knew this was going to come up but it's it's fine I I completely understand the appeal of a Selwyn (laughs) for sure like I get it I just it just never yeah I just never went through that and I don't, yeah. I, That's, <laughs> wow. I th- Eunice, did you have like a healthy attachment system growing up? Like, I think this might be what happens. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. I, I get it. I, I completely understand it in my brains, but in my heart of hearts, I'm like flipping tables right now. I know. Um. Yeah, I think Selwyn, I was, I was, uh, oh, I fell for Selwyn the second they described him as having golden eyes. I was mm. like, there's my team, Edward. Let's go. Let's go. We got this. We got mm-hmm. this. And I think I just pictured Nick as a Labrador for mm-hmm. most of the book. He's mm-hmm. just like a big puppy dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the appeal for me, you know? <laughs> Interesting. Eunice likes puppy dogs. I, on the other hand, I think I'm going to describe Selwyn as like, what is a long, lanky animal that like doesn't, is kind of unassuming, but is a pretty badass, you know, that whatever creature that may be like, probably like, he's probably like some kind of like 
ape in all honesty like like one of the smaller apes not the massive ones like a smaller mm. ape um with extra like an orangutan with extra long mm. arms and mm. like they're super adorable and cute and stuff but like don't mess with an orangutan they will mm. mess you up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this might be the worst analogy i've Mm-mm. ever come up with in my life Orangutans just seem kind of silly to me. Yeah, but they scared me. And um, when I was a little girl and I watched The Jungle Book, I was terrified. Mm. Terrified. Yeah. No, I get it. I and Monkeys, especially. <laughs> they think they're vicious. <laughs> yes. Now, um, I think that my, 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 I have a very deep hope of hope. Mm-hmm. hope of hopes i guess and uh that would be a nick and selwyn relationship i think yeah. i would like it if we could close the circle this book is not afraid of touching on queer characters and stuff mm-hmm. like that and i think there's some really good representation throughout it but like i'd be into the boys hooking up mm-hmm. it'd be pretty hot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't think out of the realm of possibility I to know. be honest you know what I'm saying like I think that could be a thing that happens I don't know if that's the direction we're going here but yeah uh, and this is where it gets really hard because we can't speculate too much without going too deep into spoiler territory right but I really would like to see what happens next I'd also really like for Brie to maybe travel abroad. Hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe discover some other magical folk. That could happen. Mm-hmm. I think that's also in the realm of possibility. I think there's a lot left in the end for like the story to take on different like and I think that that's what's cool about it, right? I think it, it was left very open ended. Mm-hmm. Um because like it did like close an arc a little bit pretty well and left it like to yes. be like the second book could be yeah could happen and it could happen somewhere abroad mm-hmm. could happen that there is no love triangle <laughs> what know? maybe Bree will be like I'm actually like mm, yeah. kind of just into taking care of myself right now yeah. maybe maybe a relationship is just not in the cards yeah. for now. Maybe that's down the road. I could I could definitely see that happening for sure. And I'd be okay with that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I I think I think ultimately what I'd like is um just a little less romantic pr- like predictability. Mm. In the second book. I think I think yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. That's mm-hmm. what I want. Throw me a curveball. I love cheese. And for this first book, you got me. It's, 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 oh, it's gooey. It's molten. It's, it's, it's making little mozzarella strings. Like, you name it. But, and like, I think that now that we've established, like, certain very traditional tropes, like, there could be a little, just a few little curveballs. And you can see, you can definitely see that uh, Tracy Dion has the skills to do this, like, she can throw some interesting stuff in there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, Eunice, if you were to be in a love triangle with any two literary characters ever, your faves, who would it be? Oh my gosh. 
oh, this is this is hard. Mm. Again, because I hate love triangles. This is Fine, not make a it good... a love square. Love square. Oh my gosh. Could it just be like a harem? Yeah. Reverse harem? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um so my ultimate um we're going back to Jane Austen here. Um Of course we are. <laughs> um and it's actually not the one that people would think. It's um actually Frederick Wentworth from Persuasion. Mm. Um because that second chance romance was like did it for me. Mm-hmm. So and and just that that letter. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> um, hey now. And yeah, and then I probably I'm going to have to say if I have Frederick Wentworth, I could definitely do with a little Peter Kavinsky. you know mm -hmm. you know like i have like the intellectual so you know i can go for i love it you know just like a doofus like (laughs) there is space for doofuses to be loved i think that's totally okay but but kind you know Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that balances it out that's a love triangle right there very nice. It's I a low. It. I think it's a low angst love triangle, but I'm here for it. So yes, one hundred percent. It is a, but it's also um, that's your that's your you're allowed to have that. Like, why yeah. must there be so much angst in our love triangles? Why can't it just be like me? Like, yeah. you know, everything is good, and like our our, our polyamorous situation can function. Mm-hmm. And there's, Absolutely. you know, all the Google calendars are synced. Yes. And we talk about our feelings all the time. <laughs> Sign me up for that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Caddy? <laughs> uh, well, you know that there is an Edward Cullen in my uh, in my fictional, uh, yeah, in my fictional group. There's. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Um, there's probably Lori from Little Women is in there probably, but mm. that's also just because I like Christian Bale and mm-hmm. the uh, film from the '90s, and I feel like I could probably hurt him in a way that pleasures me. Um, yes. <laughs> um, Holden Caulfield as well. Uh, even though I hate his guts, but that's probably why as well. I have a mean streak to myself. Um, and then I would add in, oh, um, hold on. I must, uh, 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 okay. From, uh, Deathless Divide. Mm-hmm. Um, basically every character in Deathless Divide. <laughs> <laughs> like all of the badass hot, like, yeah, like yeah. Spider Ladies that Justina Ireland wrote. Like I want yeah. them all in, in this harem. Uh, amazing yep. i'm into it that's that sounds good couple of boys some for play some for pain and mm-hmm. uh yep and then just a whole bunch of badass ladies i'm just trying to see how holden caulfield plays into that mix i think oh uh, because would... he would get on everyone's nerves yeah i don't, know. Yeah, I don't know if he'd survive i mean maybe that's the point 
maybe mm. it's not mm-hmm. um but this is a fantasy so sometimes things can get a little uh intense and also i like a little bit of chaos just a little bit of mm-hmm. chaos yeah 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 maybe it'll reform I, him maybe or maybe he's just a fun person to complain with mm. i feel like holden caulfield would probably yeah. be one of those characters that like you would love to like just sit and be like everything sucks right and he'd be like yeah everything sucks <laughs> mm. and then yeah yeah yeah. Oh, also probably most of uh, the characters from Sweet Valley High, because uh, that's like my OG, like 13 year old self is like totally into it. Also, Claudia Kishi from the Babysitter's oh, Club. But yeah. that's because like, I think she might have been one of my first crushes ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before <laughs> we wrap it up, let's talk a little bit about the world of magic. Because um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think this was sort of an interesting way of bringing in magic. Like, I don't want to call it magical realism just because I want to make sure that that belongs to sort of the Latin authors that it belongs to. Um, But there's some elements of that in here um, and all of that. But then it's also very rooted in like a white supremacist frame, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really interesting because it really does bring up the question of to whom does magic belong to? Mm-hmm. When you say like there's definitely colonization of magic, I think that's like the perfect term to use. And it's just an interesting way that like the way that colonizers like kind of deal with anything and just like transferring that onto magic. I think it just made so much sense. I was like, of course, this is what. <laughs> what they would do with magic of course this is how they would interact with creatures or like with um like power right like of course like that makes complete sense um and I just thought that was so um I don't know like mind it shouldn't have been mind-blowing but like it mm. was like to see it on the page and to see like especially as somebody who's read so much fan like YA fantasy fantasy and just thinking about like yeah why is it that certain things are framed using certain language using certain like and like everything from the like secret societies to way the magic is passed down to the way that magic is used to um keep certain people in power um right like everything about that and what it is used to do Right, even like the purpose of magic mm-hmm. of of these secret societies and of why there is magic and why there is this type of power, like even down to that, like down to the lore, it's all just like, of course, like that that's the world that they're building, right? Um, so it just, yeah, it, it was. It's very interesting to see how like th- the um explanation of magic was used in this book to kind of shed like uh to shed a light on like what it means to live in a society where it's like white supremacy like what where there is white supremacy and where that's like the dominant force exactly it's the winner gets to make the rules and like i don't know i don't know about you but like i remember 
as a child, sort of those moments where you discover magic and you discover the, the, the mythology around it and all that. And, and it was, it was intriguing to talk to my mom and sort of be like, Hey, what are like the mythological magical figures in like Fulani culture? And my mom was like, I don't actually know. And like, and then we started digging around and we were like, man, we were colonized. We don't know our own mythology anymore. Like there's certain mm-hmm. things that have been passed down orally and, and through oral tradition. But, but the truth is that like, I know my mom went to school and my dad too. Uh, and they learned uh, my ancestors, uh, the French, and they were like, mm, this doesn't track, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and obviously uh, in, in, Quebec and Canada, we definitely did not talk about any of this. Um, so there is something interesting in starting to think about those things and sort of the way it opens our eyes and and maybe maybe it'll lead to some reclaiming of magic also. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, and even if you think about like which like mythologies are taught or with which like uh, which stories are retold, even like adapted and retold. Um, I think that is very apparent in in literature, right? Um, in even in uh, YA um, or um, yeah, it's like it's just like which legends are told and retold again, um, and how they're done using certain narratives, right? Um, and that's definitely something that's really worth looking into, right? And subverting and. Um, retelling using a different lens or yeah I think that's very important in because it's such a big part it it really does um, kind of seep into the way we see the world right like that's what like mythology and folklore and lore are right it's a way Uh that we what we use to explain what we know um, exists in the world right and so like just the whole point of that and the inherent like power that that's exists right or the power dynamic that exists um um even that needs that's subverting and that um reclaiming yeah yeah mm-hmm. for sure are there uh, any uh legends or uh or or stories from mythology that that you love or that have stuck with you I know I've always loved the story of uh, I've always loved the story of Persephone just also because it's spring and and that just feels nice. But uh, but I've been wondering about that recently and and sort of starting to be interested in looking up different stories. Yeah, I was definitely very much into um, Greek mythology and for I I don't know if like. I definitely went through a phase where I was just like trying to go through like all the Greek myths. Um, Every young nerd goes through yeah, this phase. Come right. on. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I do also really like the Persephone um, story. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that one has actually a lot of different like retellings. And I know like, um, I'm a romance reader and there's a lot of like retellings like dark romance like you know using that trope of like underworld and like Persephone comes in and you know like so I think that like when we when we're talking about retellings and using like these uh, like stories um that are very familiar but then like 
bringing new elements into it. I think that's a really great like tool that authors have um, Mm -hmm. to use to kind of subvert things, right? And um, that's like a great um, tool that that's available. Yes. For anyone to do, because like it is a story that, you know, that has been passed down, has history, but also has like, you can give it new life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's something about like, I've been watching uh, recently uh, the TV show Yasuke, which is about uh, a the first black samurai. Uh, and it's very good. Uh, I highly recommend that folks check it out because also like, yay, um, Asian and black collaborations. Like mm. that makes me really happy. But that that kind of blew my mind. And I was like, ooh, I went on a little deep dive to see like, were, was there really? a black samurai and yes Mm -hmm. yes there was and this this that kind of blew me away and then I think just adding it through uh the medium of uh through through anime like obviously there's immediate magic that's added in and it's so fun um so maybe I'll I'll adapt that as one of my new uh one of my new favorite myths Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you wanted to check in about this book? Any final thoughts? No, I think it. I think we covered it. Yeah, I think yeah. this is a fun book. Mm-hmm. Um, check it out. Oh, don't be afraid of all the Welsh uh, magical terms. Uh, you can Google them or not. Um, I honestly will admit I did not. I pretended to pronounce them in my head once or twice. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to skip these over or give them uh, fake names. Um, But it goes great and you're fine even without it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alrighty then. Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or if you just want to say hi, send us an email at theyeahpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yeahpodcast and individually. Oh, I'm at caddy double underscore D. And I'm at the unicorn reads a book on Instagram, and that's unicorn with an E. If you like our show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash podcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emma Cameron. We have merch! Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. Yeah, get some! You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and a review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe someone who's in need of a little magic in their in their lives? I like that. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Caddy Diop. Hey, that's me, and edited by our favorite Tom Zalatani as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Bye-bye. Oh
I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of the No Bad Food Podcast, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or right here on the Upford Network. Hi, I'm Anthony Giorgio, host and producer of Queer Teen Podcast. Queer Teen Podcast encourages the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Listen, learn, and love as you get to know the next queer youth leaders of the world. Queer Teen Podcast celebrates, elevates, and narrates how the LGBTQ plus community uses our voices to tell our stories. You can find Queer Teen Podcasts on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And please, please, please subscribe today. And don't forget to listen, learn, and love.